This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. And you're going to hear this over and over again in life, that you can't help or control all the time what people are going to do, do to you or what's going to happen to you. But what you can control is your response toward it. See, that's where you have choices. That's where this happy, miserable thing comes in. Now, here's the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to take this right back to Jesus. He's hanging on a cross. He's dying. And there's Pharisees and chief priests walking around underneath the cross, looking up at the cross and saying, oh, ha, 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 ho, ho, ho. Let the Father, let God save you if God wants you. Now, that's where attitude comes in. That's where he had choices. And you can't help what people do to you, but it's how you respond to what people do to you. And he wasn't going to get down to their attitude and their low level of hate but he was going to raise them up. And so he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And you know what happened? A thief on the cross heard that and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, this guy's got to be who he said he is, the son of God. And there was a centurion down there, a Roman officer who heard that. And he said, this man really is everything he said he is. He is the son of God, see. And so two people came to know the Lord because our Lord chose the right attitude. All I'm talking about is the power of attitude. That's the name of this sermon series. The sermon series is called The Power of Your Attitude, okay? The dictionary defines attitude as, a, as our mental disposition toward anything, toward anything, how you see it, see? And, and remember last week I read from the, the, the book, The Awesome Power of Your Attitude, and I'm quoting now, that your attitude can make you or break you. It can heal you or hurt you. It can make you friends or make you enemies. It can move you to be at peace or make you uptight. It can make you miserable or happy. It can make you a failure or a success. This is all attitude, and that's a quote. I mean, attitude is that important. Now, this week, um, well, we looked at that attitude that I want. Boy, I covet that attitude. Here's an attitude I hope I never fall into this week. We're going to look at John chapter 6 and the attitude of Philip and Andrew. John 6, 1, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. So a great crowd of people followed Jesus, okay? Then Jesus went up on a mountainside, and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. And he looked up and saw this great crowd. I mean, he wasn't trying to avoid people. He just wanted to get away with his disciples. He was a human being for a little bit of a rest. And he sees all these people coming toward him. And he said to his disciple, Philip, let's stop there for just a minute. He sees them all coming up to him out there in this mountain cove, probably in the middle of nowhere. And he thinks to himself, all right, they're coming. See, this is all attitude. I can teach my disciples a lesson. Now, this will help you understand God. So he says to Philip, 
John 6, verse 5, second half. Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? Now look, he, he asked this only to test him, or maybe a good word too is to train him, to, to, to raise his level. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. And here's what Philip said. Philip answered him, eight months wages. Wouldn't buy enough bread for each of these people. Eight months. See, that's the attitude I don't want. Along comes Andrew, another of his disciples, Simon Peter's brother. And he spoke us up. Spoke up Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Look at it like this. Jesus said, I can teach my children something. See, it's, folks, this is a message in how you see God. Last week, how you saw yourself. This week, how you see God. If you see God as very personal, involved in the details of your life, knowing right where you are, knowing exactly what's going on in your life, and loving you and wanting to help you, then you're going to see every circumstance as something where the Lord himself, who is so involved in your life, can teach you something and make you better and make you stronger. Now, that's attitude. You can be happy or miserable. I mean, you can say, oh, poor me. Or you can say, wait a minute, here is an opportunity for God to do something in me and take me where I need to go. It's all how you see it, see. It's how you see God. Well, these two disciples said, Philip said, hey, eight months' wages. We'll never have enough money. I mean, we get all these people. God, good grief. I mean, eight months' wages wouldn't buy enough for all these people. Andrew says we got five loaves and two fish, but that's it. With all these people, that's nothing. I mean, these guys were defeated, okay? Now, now I could understand that. If this were the first encounter they ever had with Jesus and didn't know anything about him. But I go back in the word of God here in John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, just one chapter earlier, our Lord saw this guy who was um, paralyzed for 38 years at the pool called Bethesda. And he healed this guy and his disciples. Here's the deal. They were standing right there. I'm looking at John chapter 5 verse 38. He said, get, he, he said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and walked. And all the disciples beheld this. I go to John chapter 4, just days earlier. He got this Roman officer. He's got a son who's dying. And he went to Jesus and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. And in verse 50, Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. He didn't even go to the guy. He didn't even lay hands on the kid. He just says, go. He's alive. He, just, he just willed that son to live. And the son lived. I go back to John chapter 2. Lots of you folks know this. The story of the wedding at Cana. There was no wine. And so he changes 180 gallons of water into 180 gallons of wine. I think to myself, that is molecular change. He's messing with the molecules. And he's making water wine. And his disciples beheld. I mean, they witnessed all this, see? His supernatural ability to create wine from water. His supernatural ability to heal paralyzed, dying people. And you would think that they would at least think he did all this. Here's, here's thousands of people. He can pull this off too. I mean, these guys are clueless. And then I got to look at John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, our Lord's telling the Pharisees, scribes, chief priests, I am the Son of God. The scriptures that you know so well attest to the fact. John the Baptist that you go out to see, he attested to the fact that I'm the Lamb of God, the Son of God. My Father in heaven says, the Father you worship says, I am the Son of God, and you're not. And the disciples heard all this. They saw the works, the miracles. 
and yet they put limits on God. Now, what you need to do is put yourself in this situation. Put yourself on that grassy cove on that mountainside. Pretend you are there. In Jesus, verse 10, John 6, he says, have people sit down. There was plenty of grass there. And the men sat down, about 5,000 men, and plus all the women and children, maybe about 20,000 people. That's an educated guess. Anyway, you're there. How many loaves do you have? One, two, three, four, five. How many fish do you have? One, two. Five loaves, two fish. And, and Jesus tells you, have all the people sit down and get ready to eat. And you go again. One, two, three, four, five. Fish, one, two. And then, and then, and then, next deal is he, he looks up to heaven, raises his hands to heaven, and says, thank you, Father, for this bountiful meal that you're about to provide. And he takes those five loaves. He's got 12 baskets there. He takes those five loaves, two fish, and he breaks them into 12 itty-bitty parts. And other gospels tell us he hands them the baskets and says, go, you distribute. And everybody eats. They collected 12 baskets of leftovers. See, it's all attitude. Attitude means everything. Do you see God as limitless, all-powerful in everything? Another word is infinite. Let me just say this. There are no limits on the power of God. And man, you got, this is how you think. This is attitude. You know, I think about the Psalms when people are afraid, they're threatened. Foreign armies are coming at them or what's coming at them. In the Psalms, normally take people back to the creating God. I'm looking at Psalm 146, verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord, whose hope, whose help his hope is in the Lord his God. Help and hope in the Lord is God. Verse 6, the maker. See, that always back to creation. 146, 6. The maker of heaven, earth, the sea, and everything in it. Listen, only a God who himself is limitless could create a limitless universe. It's all attitude. We need to think like that. But you know what? I think more significant miracles in your life and my life is God can change people. Sometimes we look at yourself, you look at people and you say, nothing will ever change them. You know, I got to look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul hated Jesus Christ. He hated, he hated God's people. And then God brought him to the ground. He appeared to him as a great light on the road to Damascus. And well, I just want to show you how, how the apostle Paul, he was called Saul, hated God's people and hated Jesus Christ himself. This is Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, that's Paul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. That's how much he hated them. He, he looked at Christian people and said, you guys who follow this Jesus are really a bunch of losers, and I don't, want to have, I don't want to have anything to do with a bunch of losers like you guys. And he hated Jesus because Jesus offered grace and not Paul's legalistic way to heaven. And then, like I said, God slammed to the ground and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And the guy changed from the inside out. He had this dramatic experience. But look, look how God changes lives. I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. I mean, this guy hated believers, and he hated Jesus. And here, here's his own confession. So from now on, we regard nobody from a worldly or secular point of view, though we once regarded Christ this way. You know what Paul is saying? He's saying, I look at you believers now, and I love you guys. And I love Jesus. He is my life. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a brand new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And Paul's talking about himself. 
Look how God can change people. That means everything. You know what I like? Uh, even better than this. Even better than that story. I like the story in, in Luke chapter 19 of this guy, Zacchaeus. Because Zacchaeus didn't have any dramatic on-the-road experience like the Apostle Paul did. He didn't have any such experience. He was, a, he was a Jew collecting taxes for the Roman government, very wealthy. And the Lord just started working in this guy's heart. He just started saying, I mean, no dramatic experience. He just started saying, there's got to be more to life. I mean, my life is kind of empty. I mean, where's my life going? And then he hears Jesus is coming into the city of Jericho, and he's kind of a short guy, so he climbs a tree to get a good look at Jesus. And what he's looking for is that something more. And you talk about changed lives. Luke 19, beginning in verse 6, when Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And while they were in the house, all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he's gone in to be the guest of a sinner. And so they have dinner, whatever they did. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look here, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay him back four times that amount. What did he just do? He gave it all away. He bankrupted himself. What a change. There was no dramatic life-changing experience. The Lord just began to work slowly but surely in his heart. See, the point is God changes people. Ladies and gentlemen, this is all about attitude. When you put no limits on God's power to create, to still a storm, to end a war, to change a nation, to change a person, to change you, your life changes. But you have to believe that God has that power. You can't put any limits on it. He can change people. He can change you. And you can say this. You can say, I don't have to stay the way I am. You're looking at life with this attitude. I don't have to stay the way I am. I can change. I can be different. I don't have to be angry. I don't have to be sullen. I don't have to walk around as if I'm bearing all the world's problems. He can change me. That's attitude. Boy, does that make a difference. He can change this person's heart. You believe that or you don't. See, this marriage can be the best on earth because God works in people like Zacchaeus. Sometimes he's working very imperceptibly and very subtly from the inside out. Or this business deal can happen. Doesn't seem like people are too interested in this business deal. But God who created everything from nothing is the same God who works inside a person and he changes the way they feel and he changes the way they think and God can do that and man, you, have, you live with hope. It's all how you think about God. God can. You got to look at it that way. He is able. It's right here in the word of God, man. That's true. Do you see God as limitless in his power? I mean, if you do, man, you're going to be devoid of hope. If you see God as limitless in his power, do you know how much hope you're going to have? How much more positive you're going to be about life and all the possibilities? It's all attitude how you see God, man. That, that you see that attitude. There's no limits on the power of God. It makes you want to get up in the morning and live your day filled with possibilities instead of dragging yourself out of bed and just grinding out the hours. Here's something else. Don't put limits on God's power. Don't put limits on his wisdom either. You guys know the story of Joseph? How his brothers were jealous and they took him and threw him into a, a dry cistern well. And Ishmaelite slave traders come by and they take Joseph out of that cistern well. And they, they haul him to Egypt. He's only 18 or 19 years old. And he's there on the slave block, people bidding on him in Egypt. And I knew that story. 
But then I learned why Egypt. See, I never asked the question, why did those slave traders take Joseph to Egypt? Because as you get near the end of Genesis, God's going to raise Joseph up to be the great prime minister in Egypt, and only Egypt is going to have food, and there's going to be a severe famine in the world, and Joseph is going to be the guy, God's choice, to distribute all this food that was in Egypt to all those hungry, starving people. Now to do that, Joseph had to learn, and I never thought about this, the Egyptian language he had learned to speak Egyptian. He had learned to count in Egyptian numbers. We got so much of this, so much of that. He needed to learn the Egyptian culture. He needed to learn to think like an Egyptian. And so, and so these Ishmaelite slave traders come by. He's down there in that well, and they take him out, and they take him to Egypt. Did that just happen? I mean, don't you see what's going on? I mean, what's that have to do with attitude? Attitude toward God. I mean, attitude is everything. You may wonder, like Joseph, you, you may ask yourself. I mean, Joseph said this over and over again. What am I doing here? Being sold as a slave in Potiphar's house, in this dungeon for three years, all this stuff. You may say, what am I doing here, see? I mean, your life circumstances. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, I mean, if you are a real believer, not just religion, but you have surrendered your life to him, okay? You can look at where you are, and you can look at what's happening. And you can look at Joseph, and you can say, God knows what he's doing. And you put no limits on the wisdom of God, see? And, 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 and when you do that, I want to tell you something. Everything that goes on in your life has some kind of meaning. It's not purposeless and meaningless. That's all attitude. I mean, if you can look at what's going on in your life and say, this is going somewhere. Something's happening. Because I put no limits on the wisdom of God. Man, just, just what a difference. I mean, what a difference is going to make in your life. It's all attitude. God's grace is limitless too. Let's look at God's grace for a minute. His grace is limitless. Do you think of God like that? Limitless in his grace. Do you see God like that? But I just want to let you know, I deal with a number of people who look at their life and say, this is what happened in my life. This is what I did. And can God forgive the likes of me? And I think we all do that to a point at one time or another. I know I've done that. You feel so scummy. And here's something I've learned from people wiser than me, great Bible teachers, that whenever you feel scummy like that over some sin, that's the devil, Satan accusing you. Satan is the great accuser. Devil's accusing you. But when you're truly sorry that you've offended God, that's from the Holy Spirit. In Romans 5.20, I don't even have to look at this one. I know Romans 5.20. This will bless you. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where your sin increased, and you think you are so unforgivable, you are so scummy, grace covers that, see? Where your sin increased, grace covers that, grace increased all the more. And here's what that means, folks. That means freedom for you. I mean, if you keep beating yourself up for what you did, you're in bondage. And other people may keep reminding you, oh, you did this and you did that. But listen, if you confess those sins before God the Father from your heart and you really prayed for his power by the indwelling spirit to go out and fight those sins and you've done that, man, you are free. All that garbage is behind you. And that makes, that's, it's how you see God. Is he big enough to forgive that sin? Is his grace sufficient enough? Is there enough grace out there to forgive the likes of you, see? There will be people who won't let you forget what you did, but that's all behind you. And now you are free to serve God and go on with your life. I mean, this is pure gospel, folks. Every sin you could ever sin, 
Jesus paid for that. This is 1 John 1, 8. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses, NIV says, purifies from all, not just certain lesser sins, but from all sins. So you're freed from hanging on to your past and you're free to go on with life and move into the future. It's all how you see God. All this, folks, is attitude. It's how you see God. Is God limited in his grace? Is he limited in his wisdom? I mean, is your suffering meaningless? Is he limited in his power? He can't pull this off. It's how you see God, man. He's faithful without limit. Listen, every promise God ever made is for you. And he'll keep it. He will never leave you. And if you think, see, that's the promise of God. I will never leave you or desert you. And if you think God is off in space somewhere, you're limiting God. And if God doesn't keep his promise to always be with you and never leave you or desert you, then he is not God because he wouldn't be faithful. And all this, his faithfulness, his grace, his wisdom, his power, all flows out of his perfect, wonderful love for you. You got to know this. God's never disappointed in you. Oh, God, you're so disappointed in me. No, 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 no. Not if you're a believer. God's never disappointed in you. Oh, he'll deal with you. If you stray, I mean, he could deal with you. You're not disappointed. You're just going to say, God needs a little work. He's never angry with you because anger is reserved for those who don't know him. God knows one emotion towards you, and that's love. You've got to think of it like that. It's attitude. How you see God makes all the difference, man. You can choose to be happy and secure in all that God is, or you can choose to be miserable. And when you choose to be miserable, you're going to make everybody around you miserable too. It is a choice. I mean, it's how you see God. You can be miserable or you can be happy. And if you're happy, you're going to bless people around you. And if you're miserable, you're going to make everybody around you miserable. See? Attitude is a choice. Here's what I guard against more than anything else in my life. And I'm going to go back to John chapter 6 here. I never want to get so comfortable in my life that I don't have this desire in me to change the world around me. God, I'll tell you, folks, I pray about that. I say, God, if I ever get so comfortable in my life that I can't move when you want to move me, that I'm just so, oh, my life is so good, you know. If I ever get to that point, I said, God, you got to move me out of here. Because I don't want to be here. Bring somebody in here who's going to do, who's going to do what they have to do, but, but get me out of here. It's all attitude, see. I, I just look at these two disciples in John chapter 6. Now, here's the big deal. Here's what we got to know. These guys changed because you get into the book of Acts and all the apostles of Jesus Christ are out there in the world, man, up against everything Satan wants to throw at them, and they are changing the world for Jesus Christ. These same disciples who said, hey, eight months wages will never buy enough food. I mean, they're out there, man. They're out there changing things for Christ, and they are bold. And so you got to ask the question, what changed? Their attitude. That's it. How they chose to see Jesus. Back here in John chapter 6, five loaves, two fish, 20,000 people. No way. See? Here in the book of Acts, the devil throwing everything he has at him. God's bigger than the devil. God's bigger than all these obstacles. God can make this happen. How they saw God. That's the only thing that changed. That's how your life can change. See, it is all attitude, man. Listen, we have, to take a step, we, we have to take a step of faith. Folks, please take this home. 
you got to take a step of faith, even if you don't know where God is leading you when he's nudging you, because you know who he is and you have no, you, you put no limits on who God is. You, your attitude will either drive you or hold you back, see? And you got to think he has all power, all wisdom, perfect love, sufficient grace, and you can't lose. That's how you have to think about God. I never want to miss God's best, see? <laughs> I pray your life is vital, that you see God as all-wise, all-powerful, full of deep love, faithful, so you believe God can do anything. Last passage, James 5, 16, another memory passage. And again, I know this by memory, so I'm not even going to look it up. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. You're a righteous person. You're here today. Hopefully, you trust in Jesus Christ. That makes you a righteous person. The prayer of a righteous man is both powerful and effective. Do you believe that? Your prayer is powerful and effective, okay? Now, now this means everything in how you live your life. I mean, there's an area you know needs to change. Maybe it's medical. Maybe you need to quit spending. Maybe you just have to address an issue that you know needs to be addressed. Maybe you have to address something in yourself, but it demands taking a first step you got to take a first step. You take the step, and you have no idea where God's going to take you. You just know you're God. And you put no limits on your God. And you prayerfully, because the prayer of a righteous man is both powerful and effective, you prayerfully take that step. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School. 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.